Greetings. How is everybody tonight? Good day to serve the Lord. Isn't it? Such a privilege for us to be gathered together. Let's uh, read this question and then we'll read a couple of scriptures here. It was one that I didn't get finished with um, last time and it was so good that I hated to cut it short. Now I've already heard that from some of our young people that they said the only downside about Brother Donnie answering questions is he preaches a sermon with every question. And one of the reasons I do that is because I had a, an excellent teacher. His name was William Marion Branham. So I never had course and answers when I was a, a, a youth whenever I gave my heart to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I never attended a youth service. The first youth service I ever attended I preached. <laughs> so, having youth services, we never had it whenever I went. We never had nothing for the youth at all. So, you'll have to kind of forgive me if I don't know what I'm doing here because this is my first go around at this. You know. Question for Brother Donnie. If you haven't gone through a great trial, does that mean you don't have the Holy Ghost? Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things. The loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Well, all of us, probably have to say that same thing that he said, more than likely not. He goes on in verse 9 and say, we may be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, that the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his Sufferings, And this is what makes it so astounding to me, that actually the things that the Lord lets us go through, not things we bring on ourselves, but the things that the Lord allows us to go through, He actually attributes it to His sufferings and that we are suffering with, with Him. So we enter into His sufferings and the fellowship. Now, most of us don't want this kind of fellowship, do we? the human part, but it's a great honor, really. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Let's just pray over the word now. Father, we love you so much tonight. We thank you for once again giving us this privilege, Lord Jesus, that we could stand before your people. I love them so much. I thank you, Lord, they have a desire to come together again. We were just here last night, but they wanted together again tonight. And I'm so thankful to have this burden and this desire and this pull to come to the house of God. I pray that you'd help me to be able to get out of the way, Father. And if there's a need here that lays outside of these question and answers, make me sensitive to the Holy Ghost that I can be able to follow you. Bless us now as we sit together, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Because a person has not went through a great trial, does that mean that they don't have the Holy Ghost? No. 
It certainly does not. As our journey of God, with God rather, is ordained of Him, our, our experiences, uh, our great experiences in Him, so also are our trials that He sends us our way. They also are ordained of God. Each one of us will go through the things that will be necessary and essential in order to complement what He has called us to be. As we looked at it last week about Paul, that none of the rest of the apostles that we could read about in the book of Acts or in the rest of the epistles in the New Testament, or if I found and said in the Nicaea Fathers, the Antonicaea Fathers, and uh, Hyssop's Two Babylons, many of the church uh, records and things that I've been able to read about, did any of them ever go through the same thing that Paul did? But it didn't mean that they didn't suffer. They did. And all of us will suffer. But that doesn't mean that we will suffer in our body. It doesn't mean that you'll be a martyr for the Lord Jesus. Uh, if we were living in the days of Polycarp and the days of those type of people, then we would have an anointing that would help us to be able to give our lives um, as they did. Yet, we know that we're called into a different age. We're not called to an age of martyrdom. And we know that martyrdom, for the most part, will not happen in this day. There's still some no doubt. I mean, I've been to China, and I know what they go through there, and, and they're arrested. As you know, I was there when Brother Biscoe was arrested many years ago, and it was a very scary type of thing because they were looking for me, and they were searching their database and looking for my entry, and Brother Biscoe had my itinerary uh, with him, so we separated once we got there, and I went one direction, he went another, and he had my itinerary in his briefcase, and when they arrested him, he started tearing it up in pieces and started swallowing that so they wouldn't be able to locate where I was and find out the city that I was in. He was a Canadian. They thought I was a Canadian. So they come in and ask him again, Donnie Reagan, is he Canadian? And he had to tell them the truth. No, he's an American. Well, for me, um, you know, it was a frightening thing. I'd never dealt with anything like that before. So my Brother Biscoe, when he was able to make a phone call, he called his wife and said it would be a great time to be in Happy Valley. So he was knowing that he was monitored by the Chinese police and the government. So then Sister Biscoe called Brother Tom Ray. Brother Tom Ray called me in China. Brother Donnie, you need to leave us. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving our brother here in jail. I'm not a coward. So Brother Murphy was with me. He said, Brother Donnie, you don't understand. It's not that you're a coward. You can get out of here. But for these people, they live here. They'll be the ones that'll be arrested and thrown in jail, and they may never get out. And I thought, that puts it in a total different thing. I couldn't keep from thinking. You know, if that were to be said about us in America, you wonder how many people would come to our church. If there was a risk that we could be arrested, we could be thrown in jail. But will that be every one of our lot? It will not. But it does not mean that we will not suffer for Him. Some of you will suffer uh, because of the Laodicean spirit. You sisters, no doubt you've already suffered an element of persecution by the way that you dress and the way that you look. And there's a reproach that comes with that. We know that. And you will suffer in that way. Some of you brothers, you may suffer because you will be honest in your line of work. And if you would be dishonest, you'd be able to maybe do a few other things and, you know, do little things underhanded under the table, as we would say. And yet you will suffer an element of reproach. Oh, yeah, he's a goody two-shoes. He will never do this. You know, he's Mr. Golden Boy. 
He's this and that and the other. Well, you're suffering for the cause of the Lord Jesus. Now, compared to a martyr, is that suffering? Well, no. We'd probably look at it and think, that's not much of anything. But if that's what God allocated for you to go through, the thing is that we want to do is be pleasing to Him. One of the worst things we can do is compare ourselves to other people. I want you to notice that Paul, again, he picks this up in Colossians 1.23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, So Paul was able to make a division here between the sufferings that was only for the cause of Christ and actually some of them were for the people of God. Every true God-called man will do suffering for the saints of God. A pastor will suffer in one way for the people. An evangelist will suffer in a total different way. I I, I cannot wait until we're able to get there that day and we see God's prophet as he walks up there. And God will reward him for all he went through for us to bring us this great message. I thank God for it, don't you? Every every minister, God called minister, will go through so much. And it will be, of course, at, at the allotment of God. And they will suffer because of being called of God. So were their wives, so were their children. So here Paul says, now in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, if a preacher gets caught being a liar, he's not suffering for the cause of Christ. If he gets caught running around with somebody else's wife, guess what? That's not for the cause of Christ. If he gets caught because he's stealing money or something like that, that's not for the cause of the Lord Jesus. That's because the man's a deceiver. And he's not living what he's preaching. Is that right? But there's an element of suffering then that goes with the ministry. This is why a person should never preach unless they are genuinely called of God. Because this type of thing right here will drive you out of your mind. This is why people cannot take it. They think they want to be a preacher. And then they enter into the suffering for the body's sake. And they realize, I cannot handle this. So he says it for for in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, James wrote about it in a little different way. James chapter 5, verse 10. And my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffer affliction and of patience. Again, in verse 11, behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And yet there's not a man like Job in the entire Old Testament. I mean, Jesus himself come and said, have you not heard or read of the patience of Job? He never said that even about Abraham. He never said that about Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, any of the patriarchs. But Job had this one trial, which history tells us lasted about the span of a year. So a year could be quite a a lengthy time, depending on what you're going through. But you think of the years that he spent before that trial and the years that he spent after that trial, and yet what comes to our mind whenever we think of the man Job? It's what all he went through. 
And yet looking at it, it was a very short span in comparison to all the other lengths of days that God gave him. But has he been a blessing to you? Yeah, he's been a blessing to countless millions of people down through the ages. But remember, he didn't ask for that. It was not him saying, hey, God, you need somebody to go through a trial. It wasn't Job that wanted that. But God knew he needed a man like Job. I'm glad I'm not a Job. I'll tell you one thing. I'm so grateful that God had him because he's been such a blessing to us. Notice again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now, see, in a, a situation like this, this is not even speaking just necessarily about a preacher. Notice how Peter writes this. For this is thankworthy if a man or a woman, of course, in, in this case, whichever it would be, for conscience toward God. So just for conscience sake toward God. So you as a young person, you're placed in a situation and your, your conscience, by the Spirit of God, taught by the Word, now I shouldn't do this. This is not right for me to do this. I, I cannot do it. Maybe the school wants you to do this or your employer wants you to do that. But yet the Spirit of God within you says, no, this is not right. And because you won't do it, you know that your, your boss might kind of frown on you a little bit. And you're, you're somebody you're going to school with. Oh, come on, you're just too old-fashioned. But why are you doing that? Because there's something in you that your conscience is toward God. And James says that if you'll suffer, or Peter rather, suffer wrongfully. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults? Now, boy, we've all got enough of them, don't we? But there's no glory when we're buffeted for our faults. But he said, you shall take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it. So this is a category that absolutely every person that's here tonight, and there's hundreds that'll be streaming this service and archive it later. So those of you that are not in this visible audience, whenever you suffer for the cause of the Lord Jesus. So don't get it in your mind that you've got to be, you know, you've got to be a, a martyr. You've got to be somebody that God will allow you to go through some horrible, terrific trial and you'll be there for years and years. Well, you say, I've never been through any of that. You don't have to. But what you will do is you will be faithful to whatever God in his wisdom allows you to go through. And when you stand before him that day, he will reward you for every one of those times that you would be honest and true and you would suffer for being a child of God. How many knows what I'm talking about? No doubt every one of you went through it already. So he said, when you do well and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, notice this is strange because to us, the term Christian is used very, very often. This is one of the few times in the New Testament that you'll find it, the only time actually that you'll find it being phrased as an identification of a term Christian. Because Christian was a term that was actually a term of ridicule. And it was not actually the believers that started using it first, but it was the infidels. And they started calling them Christians, which was, means Christos, which was Christ-like. But here Peter adapts this term because by now in, in this stage in the first century, they had accepted it that they were being called Christians. Yet if any man suffer, not as a preacher, not as a prophet, not as a pastor, but as a Christian. 
How many of you all have suffered as a Christian? Just as a Christian. Your hair, your dress, you won't do this, you won't do that. See, you have already suffered as a Christian. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And let me, not to add to the word, but let me say, not just a man now, but you sisters. You suffer as a daughter of God. And we all know, we're conscious of it, and we know that in the natural sense, the sisters in the message will suffer more by their appearance than will the men. Because the hair, most of the men, I mean, they don't have their hair hanging down their back. You know, you don't see any of our men going around in mini skirts. Although Carol and I saw a guy the other day, and it was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. The man had a beard, and he had on a pair of glistening high-heeled shoes, and had on a dress. I mean, it just about make you vomit. And people just looking at him and looking at him, it was just absolutely bizarre. But, and I thought, you know, there that man is actually suffering reproach for this image. I'm not sure what he was trying to prove, but had on, uh, you know, these glistening silver high heel shoes and a dress and a beard of all things and a woman's hat. Now you're talking about weird. I don't know if the man didn't have time to shave before he went out looking like a woman. I, I don't know, but you think that the, the, the people laughing at him, people looking at him, turning around the corner and I thought he's bearing reproach for a sin that unless he get delivered from will take him to hell. And you bear reproach for what is right. So don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Let's look at the church age book now about this, about suffering. Page 116. Now the Lord God Almighty says, I know. There he is walking in the midst of his people. There he is, the chief shepherd of the flock. But does he hold back the persecution? Does he stem the tribulation? No, he does not. He simply says, I know your tribulation. I am not unmindful at all of your suffering. What a stumbling block this is to so many people. Like Israel, they wonder if God really loves them. How can God be just and loving if he stands by and watches his people suffer. Now, he reads this scripture here in Malachi. This is why they ask in Malachi 1, 1 to 3, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet we say, wherein hast thou loved us? Now, God said, I've loved you, Israel. And Israel said, what? You're telling us you've loved us? I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet we say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? And yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. You see, they could not figure out God's love. And I'm going to tell every one of you tonight, including me, I can't either. We'll never figure out God's love. It will not make sense at times. God will be doing things out of love. And the prophet mentions the term in the third exodus, I believe it's June, latter part of June 63. And he uses the term, the tender hand of Jehovah. It's the only place I've ever found it that he uses it quite that way. And he's talking about the Jews being driven back into the homeland. And it was the tender hand of Jehovah. 
And we can see that same tender hand in our lives, but it sure don't seem very tender. It didn't seem like to me, it was very tender. When my daddy would take his hand, I never got a whole lot of whippings from my daddy, but I can still remember them, so they were pretty outstanding. And whenever he got done, I never beat me or none of that sort of thing, but he would whoop me. Now, mama whooped me too. As a matter of fact, mama whooped me about a month before I got married. My mama stood about that tall, and I knew in about a month I was going to get married, so I had something I wanted to say to my mama. And after I said it, I wish I hadn't of because my little mama grabbed me and grabbed the switch, and I mean she let me have it, and I deserved it too, because I was disrespectful to her, and I should have never said it. I would to God I could take it back and never say that to her. So I didn't understand it, but once I started being a father and having children myself, I realized how painful that parental love really was. You hear the common term today, tough love. And we know what it means. It means that sometimes that real love, you have to be tough. And you've got to say, no, I'm not supplying you any more money to support your drinking habit or your, you know, your habit of addiction of this and that. They use it all the time, you know, dealing with addictions. And it is a tough love. And God is the author of real, genuine tough love. And God knows sometimes he has to be tough on his kids. I'm glad he is, don't you? But notice now what they thought love meant. They thought that love meant no suffering. You'd be surprised at the Christians that think the same thing. They thought that love meant a baby was parental care. But God said his love was elective love. The proof of his love is election, that no matter what happened, his love was proven truly by the fact that we were chosen unto salvation because God had chosen to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, which is quoted in the scripture there. He may commit you to death. You mean God out of love may commit our loved ones to death. All of us have seen that, have we not? Parents, grandparents, siblings, children, and God commit them to death, and then people look at it. There's people that have left our church that no longer serve God because God took their mother, God took their father, God took a child, and and they just build this attitude against God. I've never understood that myself. I don't understand why he always does it, but I've never understood getting an attitude against the only source that will help you ever understand it. So you cut yourself off from the source and the resource of everything that you have need of. But some people look at it that way. God, if you love me, you wouldn't have let this happen. They don't understand the love of God. The love of God has nothing to do with the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs of life. It has to do with God elected you before the foundation of the world. And we have a promise that all things, all things, all things don't come from God, but even the things that come from the devil, he will make those things work together for our good. Aren't you glad for that? So his proof was election. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. He may commit you to suffering as he did Job. So God may choose people 
I think of my friend, Brother Ron Spencer, and all that he's been through. You didn't know it, and I wasn't going to say anything about it until after he had made it public today. But the doctors had told Brother Ron that he had cancer in both eyes. He went to the doctor on Tuesday, and before the main visit, they told him, you're probably going to have to have a treatment in the one eye and possibly the other eyeball removed. So this is the way they start out their day. All day Tuesday was one scan after another and doctors and this and that and other. Reading of the scans. So when they got to the eye specialist, the oncologist of the eye, he said, there is no cancer in your eyes. The doctors themselves called it a miracle. That's our God. That's our God. But then you look at it and you think they done showed it in the scan that it was there. And they had called him several times because they'd really, really concerned about the situation. And you think the same God that could have touched that, could not he went through the entire body and took every bit of it out at one time? Could he not have done that? Of course he could. We know that he could. So why didn't he? He must have a reason that's beyond what we know and what we understand. Is that right? How many times did we pray for Erica and we saw God move for her over and over again and the same God that moved for her Could not he went inside of her body and took every bit of that out and annihilated that thing? Could he not have done it? Well, sure he could have. We've seen him do it before. So he had a, apparently he had a reason. Do I understand? Do you understand it, Brother Donnie? I don't understand it a bit more than you do, but I trust him and I believe him whether I ever understand it in this life or not. I've already heard one testimony after another after another. We got one from a sister in the church just a few days ago. She was telling Carol. She said, I felt like I should share this with you and Brother Donnie. She said, I've been going through this thing and this situation in her life. And she said, every time I get so low and so discouraged, she said, I think about Sister Erica. And I think about how she would press through it. And she said, that's how I get so encouraged. I've heard that from preachers in different parts of the world. That little girl's gone to meet her reward. But her testimony is still living on this very night. So you see what God's doing? God allowed her to go through that thing. And you know what? God took her. Her reward, she's gone there. No more suffering. No more sickness. But ask her, their, her daughters, are they suffering? They are. Ask me. I'm still crying. I'm still lamenting. My heart is still broke. Lance and I had to go to the cemetery yesterday for some things to finish up there. That was all I could do to pull in there. I'm still suffering. She's not. But his will to end her suffering brought a deeper suffering to me, to her husband, to her children, to her mother, and to many of you. I know many of you are. I can see it on your face tonight. You're suffering. 
You're suffering because the will of God to take her added a suffering that will never be lifted from our hearts totally. We will never get over it. Ain't that right? So you think it must be for a greater cause. It must be for his will. So how am I going to react like a son of God ought to react? Because she got there by being faithful in her suffering. I'm going to get there the same way. I'm going to be faithful in mine. I'm suffering different. I suffered. I suffered when she was here. I suffered every time I had to take her to the doctor. Every time I had to take her with the chemo and I'd have to lead her in because she'd be so sick she could hardly walk. I took her more than anybody did. I saw those times. I'd pray with her every time. I would lay my hands on her and pray for her. I'd be there when she couldn't hardly even walk and get out of there. I suffered for several years. And now my suffering has changed. I'm not suffering because she's sick. suffering because she's gone. But am I going to get mad at God? Are you kidding me? I need him now more than ever before. And his proof of his love to me is in his election. Oh, but Brother Don, you're a preacher. You understand these things. No, I'm telling you, I don't understand. I don't understand. But I believe him anyway. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. He may commit you to suffering as he did Job. That is his prerogative. He is sovereign, but it is all with a purpose. Let's skip on down there just a little bit there. Talking about the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 5, 8, 9. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Maybe God needs to teach me something during this type of suffering. I buried 144 people since I've been the pastor of this church. 13 or 14 in 2023. I cried for every one of them. A piece of my heart. I've walked in front of caskets, a portion of my life has been filled with deaths, a huge portion of deaths over my life weeping and crying and seeing people suffer. Oh, I, I hate it. I hate that part. But God called me for that purpose. He had to equip me to be able to deal with that. I'm, I'm a tender-hearted person by nature. So it, it breaks my heart every sick person I see. I'm out at Walmart and I see a little crippled up mama. You know what I want to do? I want to lay hands on her. I was talking to a car salesman the other day. He was telling me about his granddaughter. Went that day. She was that very day getting into treatment for cancer. And I got ready. I was talking to him for just a few minutes. He reached over and shook my hand. I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes. So he and I sit there in that business, one of the business here in Johnson City, the presence of God come in that little booth where we were. As I offered prayer for that man, for his granddaughter, Mia. Her mother had donated her stem cells. We prayed for her. The Lord Jesus apparently didn't care that it wasn't in church because his presence come down in that little booth where we were. You know why I could do that? 
Because I told him, I said, my daughter passed away some months ago. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I could have prayed for the man if Eric would still been alive. But I could pray for him and his granddaughter because you could see the pain that he was dealing with. So my suffering brought the presence of God. I plan on going back to talk to that man again and find out how Mia is today. You see, our Lord Jesus could not suffer as being spirit. But as we looked at it last night, he suffered so much and become a goat on that cross. I've been studying it even more today. And Brother Branham said that he died the death of a sinner so that we could sit here tonight and be saved. He died alone in his death. So if we have to die, we won't be alone in ours. Look what suffering done to him. It made him a high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Look what suffering will do to us. It will make us more compatible to people around us and help us to feel. I mean, knows what I'm talking about. In plain language, the very character of Jesus was perfected by suffering. According to Paul, he's left his church a measure of suffering that they too, by their faith in God, while suffering for him, would come to a place of perfection. Why did he want this? James 1, 2 to 4. My brother, encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I hope that answers your question on that part. Let me close out with this quote here. When you're sick and tired of this whole life and you love the appearing of the Lord Jesus better than you love your food at the table, your wife or your children, then there's a crown laid up for you Not a crown, a gold crown that they put upon your head, but a body free from pain, crowned in the glory of God, crowned in the immortality of Jesus Christ. Can't you see what awaits you, young people? This is what awaits you. Not that they're going to put a starry crown on top of our head, but we will have a body that will be a body likened to his own glorious body. That's what's laid up for you, that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give it at that day. That's the day we look forward to. All the suffering that you and I go through in this life, it won't even be worthy to be compared to the glory that's revealed. Thank you, Lord. Another question. Because the Lord is supreme and sovereign and rules all 
Why will Jesus need to be crowned? If the Lord is supreme, because the Lord is supreme and sovereign and rules all, why will Jesus need to be crowned? That's a very good question. I've really enjoyed studying this one. Psalms 110 verse 1, David prophesying, and he said, A psalm of David the Lord said unto my Lord, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, said unto my, capital L, little O, little R, little D. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now when Jesus came on the earth, this is not just something that a person can read up, uh, open up and read rather like a newspaper and be able to understand. Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness for God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, received up into glory. God was, so God preached unto the Gentiles. So whenever the scribes, the lawyers, and the educated people come to Jesus to ask him questions, Jesus would ask them questions many times, and he would ask it in such a way that it intentionally would cause them to stumble because they were trying to approach it from here instead of here. So Jesus now asked them this question, and he refers to this psalm. What think ye of Christ? So now the the scribes had asked him a question. And Jesus says, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So lordship and sonship has to be looked at in the right way or you'll come out with two every time. And it can be so confusing. Now Jesus said this on purpose and it, it, absolutely just set these guys' minds in a whirl. Now notice what it done. And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Now it befuddled them. They just didn't know what to say and it must have embarrassed them and they said, I'll never do that again. That was the end of question and answers. (laughs) So now why will Jesus have to be crowned when he's Lord of all? Now he is. But as we looked at it last night, now watch in Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God 
should taste death for every man. But now remember, Jesus the man was what become the goat. Jesus the man was what become the serpent on the pole. The father which lived in him, which was spirit. Now keep in your mind that you are a trinity as well. You have a soul, a spirit, and a body. And when you see my body, you have seen me in one way. In another way, I've never seen you and you have never seen me. You have never seen my soul. I've never seen it. I've never seen yours. You've never seen your spirit or my spirit. But yet, you kind of have an idea of what my spirit is and what my soul is by the way my body acts. Is that right? So when you think about the Godhead, don't think about God being this old man in heaven. And then God looked over in heaven and that was this younger man. And God said, son, I need somebody to go down and die on a cross. Now, would you do that for me? Would you be willing to do that for me? And the little boy said, you know what, Daddy? I believe I will. That's not the way the Bible projects it at all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, God, Paul says it this way, that God is that one who dwelt in the realm of immortality. Jesus says in St. John 4, God is a spirit. God is a spirit, not a man. So God is a spirit. But God wanted to become man, and he did in Jesus Christ. So what was that? It was an extension of himself. I notice my spirit, my soul, my body. All three of those are me. So what happens at death? That spirit goes back to God who gave it. Your spirit actually breaks up, the prophet tells us, when you die. And in the resurrection, you will not have a human spirit anymore. You will have a soul, a theophany, and a glorified body. You were never intended to have a human spirit because you was intended to have the theophany. But you bypassed the theophany that you could be tested. What is the human spirit made of? Five inlets. Imagination, conscience, memory, reason, and affection. That's what gets us in so much trouble. But in the glorified body, we'll have the seed, which is the soul, and we'll have the theophany and the glorified body, all three again, to make the one unit. So Father, Son, Holy Ghost, very same God all along, but manifesting himself in those three attributes. So the body of Jesus Christ has never yet been crowned. Now remember, he is a high priest. Whenever he appeared, remember the prophet uses the example, whenever he appeared to one of the church age messengers, and St. Martin was his name, and this angel appears and he looks like Jesus, and he appears to him and said, Martin, don't you know me? Worship me. And St. Martin kept looking at him, had on a, a brilliant looking robe and all that sort of thing, but he had a crown on his head. So he said, Martin, don't you know me? Don't you know me? Worship me. And Martin looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You have got a crown on your head. Jesus has not yet been crowned. His saints will crown him. There was never a king in the Old Testament or a priest which was able to carry 
both offices merged together in one. Now, there was one in the Old Testament by the name of Uzziah. And Uzziah tried to enter into a position of being a priest. And God smote him with leprosy. Because that was saved for himself. To be king, prophet, and priest, trinity of offices, manifested in that one body. So the body of the Lord Jesus was brought to the earth in order that God might have a permanent human temple. Let's read it again there in verse 10 of chapter 2 of Hebrews. For it became him for of whom are all things and by whom are all things, that in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Again, sufferings. Verse 11, for both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, till I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Now watch Paul as he's taking the priesthood of the Lord Jesus and showing that like Aaron, Aaron the high priest was taken from among his brethren. God told the people of Israel in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, I will make you a kingdom of priests. Now this was God's original will that God wanted all of Israel to be a priesthood. But they sinned, of course, and then God accepted the tribe of Levi And Levi then would be the called out ones and they would be the ones that would minister for the rest of the tribes. And then there was an order of the priests. There were the men who tore down the tabernacle. They could not actually offer sacrifices. So there were several different orders. The average everyday person could not carry the tent. They could not carry the menorah. They could not carry the furniture. But even all of those were a branch of the Cherisites and all of that that carried the temple of the Lord. And then Aaron was the high priest. So he was called out separate from among the rest of his brethren. He typified our Lord Jesus. So our Lord Jesus is the high priest, but yet we are priests as well. You believe that? The Lord went in Sunday, we'll be looking at that. We are priests, which makes us intercessors. And we can also offer sacrifices to the Lord, except not for the atonement of sin, sacrifice of praise, our bodies a living sacrifice, and so on. But the Lord Jesus become one of us that he might become our high priest. Now look at what Paul goes on to say. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, which is the devil. So the Lord Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he was given this glorified body. But no, no time in the revelation or no time as far as the natural appearance when he raised from the dead and the disciples saw him, did they ever note that there was a crown on his head. Now remember right now, he's the high priest. This is why it's important for you to understand the difference between high priest and kingship. He is in the office of high priest. 
And as long as there's one member on the earth of the elect that's not been yet fully redeemed, he must be in that office of high priest. But he cannot have on bloody garments and be crowned. It would be unbecoming for his wife to see him with these bloody garments on. So once he redeems that last one, let me just say it to you like this, that he will step in behind the curtain, as it were, and change his garments. And when he comes out, even John sees him with a different apparel on from the book, as we looked at it last night of Revelation chapter five, as whenever he sees him coming riding on a white horse. Then he's girded about the paps, the chest area here, with a different type of, a, of a, an attire because the garments that he wears displays the office that he's in. So if I would have come in here tonight and I would have been dressed like a hippie, okay? I'd have come in with sandals. Y'all know I don't like sandals anyway. But if I had on sandals and I had on, you know, baggy breeches and I looked like on a hippie and I'd have on a hippie looking shirt and you'd say, I can't believe Brother Donnie looked like that. Wow, that's not like Brother Donnie. My goodness, that's not fitting. You know what? You'll never see me in nothing like that because I don't dress that way. I ain't a hippie or a yippie or a nothing else like that. I am who I am. But we all know that what we dress like has a reflection of the way we really are. Well, it's the same way with the Lord Jesus. So he has not yet been crowned his humanity. Now, in that he's received a glorified body, part of the Shekinah of he's, that he's gonna come into has already been there. I hope you understand. Any of our loved ones that have gone on and entered into the sixth dimension, my daughter Erica has already been crowned in the sense that she has received that glorified or that theophany body rather. But she will be fully crowned when she receives a glorified body in the resurrection. Notice how Brother Ram deals with this in the future home. When he went up out of the water, now they're talking about the Lord Jesus being baptized, he said, I saw the heavens open, the prophet saw it, and he saw the heavens open. Here come descending out of heaven, form of a dove, a voice saying, this is my part of the earth that I have redeemed. You mean God wanted to be a part of the earth. Wow. Why in the world would he want that? Why wouldn't he just create himself one? Well, he did. Whenever he went to appear to Abraham, him and two angels, the prophet said he just went, took some dust up off the earth and, and he stepped into a body. Two angels stepped into a body and here he went walking down the road with a staff in his hand. Dress like a man, look like a man, talk like a man. Abraham killed a calf or had a servant too. Sarah went in and fixed him a sandwich, brought him some meal, milk out, and he sat down and ate a sandwich. Almighty God, in a body that he'd breathed life into. But what happened to that body? He stepped right out of that body after his visitation to Abraham. It went right back to the dust of the earth. That was not intended to be his permanent dwelling. He could appear in a bush. He could appear in a fire. 
Why? He's a spirit. So he could get inside a bush. He could get inside of whatever he wanted to because he did not yet have a permanent body. But when Mary conceived by the spoken word, God said, this is my part of the earth. It will be mine forever. I'll live in it. I'll look out of it. I'll talk out of it. I'll heal out of it. I'll raise the dead out of it. And one day I'll set it on the throne and I'll hang above it and I'll call it my son. For it is me in another form. I was just reading to Carol before I came this evening. Someone had sent me a video and they were, it was talking about that when a woman conceives a child and she carries that child, even after that child is birthed by that woman, some of those child, that, that child's cells remain in that woman's body. I thought, I, I thought wow, that, that, that is absolutely amazing. So I'd send it to Carol, and she was looking at it, and she said, you think it's really the truth? I said, well, there's one way to find out. Let's Dr. Google, and we'll just see. So sure enough, I found one after another scientific news and mail, and one after another after another, and they have scientifically proven that when a woman carries a child and gives birth to that child, decades after that child leaves her body, they have found cells from that child in women's brains, livers, lungs. They actually found the Y chromosome. Listen to this. The Y chromosome, which is the male chromosome, in females' bodies... Of course, and it come by them giving birth to sons. And even though them sons had been long gone from their mother's womb, that woman was still carrying that male chromosome in her body. I told Carol, I said, glory. I said, if a woman can do that, it shouldn't be hard for us to believe that we were a cell, if you please, or a gene that would come from the very mind of God. And even though we're down here, he still carries a part of us in him tonight. Praise the Lord. So God said, this is my part of the earth. And from this part of the earth, I will redeem the rest of us. So God in the plan of redemption had to have his own humanity and he would call it his son. So there's things that I could say about my flesh that I can't say about my spirit. My flesh has five inlets. See, taste, feel, smell, and hear. My spirit has five. I just quoted them to you. My soul has one. So people try to make a trinity and they'll say, well, there's things that you can say about the son that you can't say about the father. I totally agree with that. But I can also say things about my soul that I can't say about my spirit. That don't mean I'm three people. That means all three of them make me one complete unit. So God said, this is my part of the earth. Oh my. 
I will redeem the rest of it. For he is my word made manifest. The whole world I spoke into existence by my word. Hebrews 11. And Satan has held it to this time. But I've come to redeem it. And so much of it has made his body. And I'm coming to dwell in it. And John said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending from God out of heaven. Now watch Brother Random go straight from the Lord Jesus to the city coming down from heaven. As a bride adorned for her husband, where did it settle on? Just like it did on there. So he brings this now, the Spirit of God came and settled down on the Lord Jesus in the river Jordan. And he jumps way over here on the eighth day to when John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending from God out of heaven. And he said, where did it settle on? Just like exactly that it did there, Upon the earth. Jesus was a part of that earth that the Holy Ghost descended on. Do you all understand the difference between Jesus and Christ? You understand the difference? Jesus is the flesh. Use yourself as an example. Your flesh, through a mixing together of your mother's chromosomes, 23 from her and 23 from your father. Your flesh started being formed from the coming together of those chromosomes. But your spirit was not formed by them. Your soul was not formed by them. So you took on their DNA. Is that right? Then you begin to interchange, as I said to you, the cells in your mother's body. Some of you young ladies sitting here tonight that are married now and you've got your own family. Yet if science would be able to do it, they could still show some of your cells inside of your mother's body. Though you are a separate individual being and God still has every one of his seed, a part of them inside of him this very night in his thinking, part of his being. And God said, I want to be a human. I want to be a human. So I'll make myself a body. That's Jesus. So John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending like a comet or a dove coming down out of heaven and settling on an entire redeemed earth. To do what? To claim every attribute that he made the earth for. Every man that was represented in eternity, every woman is redeemed then. She's been scoured and burned by fire. Watch him now go straight from the earth back to Jesus. Jesus and his fiery temptations in the wilderness for 40 days. Notice then his ministry. Think of it. The Holy Ghost descending upon earth, Jesus, and that holy blood. Now watch, I hope I don't go too deep for you. That holy blood that was created by God, the blood, the life, the creation of God. Jesus was the beginning of the creation of God. And the creation of God will be crowned. Now, when will it be? At the resurrection. At the resurrection. You see, he could not get his crown yet until the work of high priest is completed. When the rapture takes place, there will be no more Gentiles saved on the earth. 
That'll be it. Mercy seat is closed. He will then turn and deal with the Jews, 144,000 as a nation, and they will come back to him. Then what will happen? We in the resurrection will crown our Lord Jesus. Praise be to God. You see, it was like the Song of Solomon when you read it and you understand the way they did it. That whenever they would spend an entire week, seven days, an entire week of celebrating the nuptials, the marriage, both the groom and the bride would be crowned in those seven days. The people would eat, they would drink. It was just one festivity after another for a whole entire week. And both the bridegroom and the bride wore a crown. And Solomon says that his mother was the one who crowned him with many crowns. So in the symbol, in the marriage supper of the lamb, Oh, think of it. The prophet said that great table will spread down through there for thousands of miles long. The resurrection will take place first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And they'll go appearing to us. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm looking forward to that hour. I'm gonna have a lot of saints appear to me. Praise God. Glory to God. And the prophet said, once you start seeing them, you know it won't be long that you're gonna be changed. And he said, think of it, missing people. You come up together missing on the earth. They can't find you no more, but you're missing. What are, what's happened? You've moved into another dimension. Why? He's changed garments. And he says he knows how we are. In Shreveport, 1965, or 63 rather, he knows how we are, that we'll be looking around for one another. Did brother so-and-so make it? Did brother so-and-so make it? Sister so-and-so? So he allows us to get together first. So we all get together. You imagine we turn totally invisible to the people that's living on the earth. We will come up missing on the earth. Now, do you understand that Erica... Brother Jim Babb, all of our loved ones that have gone on, they're no more than 20 feet from where we are right now. They're not that far away. But they simply stepped into another dimension. And so that dimension is just a little farther back than what you are sitting right there. Hallelujah. And we will step into that dimension. We'll still be here for a bit. And we will step into that dimension, missing on the earth. And we'll all greet one another. Oh, how, how you been? Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, it's so good to see you. <laughs> And then he will call for us to come up. And we'll all begin to transcend and go beyond this world, following him as we move out of this 
realm here in the first four that we know. And then we would have moved into this other dimension. Our bodies would have been changed. And we'll gather together. I, I know it may seem very strange to you, but we will still be so human that when we sit down at that table, tears will come from our eyes. As we take our seats at that table, Brother Bram said, we'll reach across the table and shake one another's hands, the battle-scarred veterans. He'll let us all be seated and the angels will be the ones that'll be seating us and we'll all sit down there. You imagine there'll be a great hush. <laughs> That'll take place. And here he comes and he steps out and we go to looking at him and he comes up near you and near you and you. All of you. And you feel his hand as it goes to touch it, touching your shoulder. And you raise up and look at him. The tears running down out of your eyes. Maybe the last time you'll ever cry again. And he reaches down and gets his robe. And he says, Don't cry no more. It's all over. I love you, child. You're mine. I'm yours. It's all over. Your suffering, your tests, your trials. Oh, I don't know exactly what the order of it will be. Well, somehow there will be a this great place where we will be walking up to. And he will be there. It will not be the judgment seat, but more the reward seat. And then we will be rewarded, each of us. And we will take our crowns, as it were, and cast them at his feet. So it was the Shulamite Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, made his crown. But it was the Shulamite who set it upon his head. Shulamite is the feminist form of Solomon. Who better to give the Lord Jesus his crown than his wife. Now remember, Peter's been in the sixth dimension for over 2,000 years. He still has not seen the Lord Jesus yet. Neither has Paul. Neither has any of the saints in any of the church ages. It would be unbecoming for them to see him in his priestly office. They are all waiting. Can't you understand why all the ages are waiting on us. Every age is waiting on us. If we do not come to completion and maturity, 
there will never be a resurrection. Jesus will never be crowned. But I'm not worried about that not happening, are you? It will happen. Because we will come to maturity. The crowning of the King of Kings is waiting on it. Praise the Lord. Let me, let me find a place to stop. The city was a throne in the top, Revelation 21, 23, and they had no need for the light. For the Lamb, the Lord God is the light thereof. The Lord God is that pillar of fire that followed the children of Israel through the winters. And listen, in the eighth day, it's not like you're going to see an old man on one throne and a younger guy on another throne. What you will see as the Father is this light, this pillar of fire, this brilliance that's around the throne. But there will be a human body sitting on the throne that is glorified. That's the Lord Jesus. He ascended up on the throne in that perfect kingdom when the kingdom that Jesus is to surrender to the Father that God may be all in all. Jesus sets upon his throne here as our Joseph and the king is that light that will be on top of the Mount Zion. And his holy light will flood the entire city. Now remember John said that the city will have no need of the sun. But he didn't say anything about the rest of the earth. The city is the only place that will have the privilege to live for eternity in the light of the king. You know why? Because they are the ones that walked in the light on the earth. If you walk in the light now, you get to live in the light for eternity. There was no need of the sun, for there is no night there. Did you ever notice John never mentioned nothing about there not being no night on the earth out there where the rest of the people lived. But where you live, there'll be no night. We are so privileged. On top of Mount Zion will set the Lamb. And the city will need no light, for the Lamb is the light thereof. And above the Lamb will be the Father, which is the Logos. God, that great light, eternal light that will shine just above the throne. And Jesus will not be on the Father's throne, but he'll be on his throne. And the Father will hover over the Son, which the Father and Son will be one. And while they're yet speaking, I'll answer. And before they can think, I'm thinking for them. That's right. And Jesus will commit a perfect, perfect age to a perfect living God that he has redeemed and give over to the Father. Let me close with this. God became material in a man called Jesus, which was his son. This son gave his life that he might bring other sons. 
that God might become tangible, working all in all. In that day, you'll know that I'm in the Father, the Father in me, I in you. What a day. And we will crown our husband. The angels won't crown him. They're not married to him. But it will be you, Shulamite, that will crown your Solomon. And you will be able to reverberate the words in eternity that he anointed Solomon to write so many years ago. I am my beloved, and my beloved's is mine. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Let's bow our heads together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we sense your presence here among us, Father. It's the light of the word of the hour that helps us to see our journey. It's the light of the word of the hour that shines on why we should dress different, act different, talk different. The reason that the people of the church, churchanity and organizations and so on, don't see it is because the light they're living under doesn't show it. But our light does. Our light tells us why we should live a certain way and behave a certain way. So then when we move from this world, we will be privileged to live in that city where the Lamb is the light. Lord God, then we want you to be the light of our church. We want you to be the light of our lives, the light of our marriages, the light of our homes. Oh, Jesus, come, shine upon us with all your brilliance, our Father. Overshadow us in this life as you will overshadow your human body in the eighth day. Overshadow our humanity that our humanity might be glorified, Lord Jesus, by what you have done. Help each young person here tonight, Father. Encourage them, strengthen them. Give them what they need, Lord, for this life's journey. Thank you for this time we were able to spend together tonight, Lord. Your presence has been so wonderful. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. I pray that we're blessed together. Oh, Jesus, how we long to be together. I know it may sound strange to us, but when the change comes, if I'm 70 or 68 or 69 or whatever I'll be, I'll be changed to a young man 18 to 20. Some of them sitting here tonight may be 16 or 17 and They'll just be changed up a year or two. 
Some of them may be 25 and they'll go backwards a few years. But we'll all be the same age and we'll stay that age for eternity. We'll never grow old. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these promises in your word. We love you, Father. How many of you here tonight, I just raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to be there so bad. I want to be there with all my heart. Help me, Lord. Would you just raise your hand to him? Maybe you've got a need in your life. Maybe going through a challenge, a trial. Maybe you're a little bit indifferent right now. You've lost a little bit of your joy, a little bit of your desire. You want to be remembered. You don't want to miss it. Oh, young person, what in this world could this world ever offer you compared just to what little bit that we've looked at right here tonight? The devil has no heaven for you. He has no eternal life. He has no body that he can offer you which will be free from pain. If you miss heaven, you will go to a a realm in the outer darkness. When the prophet went there as a boy, 14 years old, he said that a burning flame would have been a pleasure compared to what he saw. He was just falling, falling, falling in an endless eternity, he said. There was no mama there. There was no daddy there just falling, falling, and he couldn't stop. Hearing the moaning and the voices. Oh my. But on the other hand, the Lord Jesus has a new body. Endless joy, endless peace, happiness beyond we can even imagine tonight is waiting for us. Bear his reproach in this life. And he promises you, he will say these words to you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord, which were prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd be mindful of each of them that raise their hands tonight, Father. Would you minister to them? Lord, I know from hearing from other people around the world that these questions aren't just being listened to by youth, but they're being listened to by ministers and by people from all over the world. So I pray tonight, Lord God, that you'd reach out to each one. May they right there sitting in their living room since the Spirit of God, just the way we do in this sanctuary tonight, Father, we sense you here. And we're so grateful. You're here, Lord, to heal. You're here to fill with the Holy Ghost. You're here to encourage. I believe, Lord God, your same presence can go right now in offices and homes and cars and automobiles, wherever they're listening to this service. Maybe a saint that's just really weary and down or discouraged. May a charge go through them, Lord God, like a battery. Heavenly Father, strengthen them, encourage them tonight. We love you, Lord. We call upon your great name. We long for the hour, Lord Jesus, when we can crown you king 
of kings and Lord of lords, for you will be crowned with many crowns. Oh, hallelujah. We worship you, Lord God. I bless your name tonight, El Shaddai, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Almighty God, we lift our voices, our hands, in adoration and praise to you tonight, Father. Who are we that you, the great omnipotent one, would call us to yourself? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, we worship you tonight, Father. We bless your name. We present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, our God, which is our reasonable service. We give you our minds, our hands, our eyes, our ears, every element of our humanity, Lord God. Hallelujah. If you don't mind, can we just stand to our feet? And just raise our hands in the presence of the King. Think of it, young people. One day the Lord Jesus will walk out by your chair, if that's what we have there in heaven. He'll walk out by your chair, your seat. Lay his hand over on your shoulder. And you'll look up into his eyes as tears are coming down yours. And he'll say, don't cry no more. It's all over. It's all over. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. We bless your name tonight, Father. I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I thank you, Father. I thank you that we don't have to wait to sense your presence. We sense you right here now, Lord. Glory to God. As I said it there last night, Lord, every member of the bride that's filled with the Holy Ghost has the personal privilege to express the personal presence of Jesus Christ. That's what we sense right here tonight, Lord. It's not just an anointing. It's not just a blessing. It's the personal presence of our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we praise your name. We worship you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. For you are worthy, you're worthy, Lord. You are our life, our Redeemer, the great I am, the first and last. 
You came to us that you might redeem us. You became one of us that you might be like us. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We bless your name. We love you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord God. I praise your living Savior. I found the quote before I came to church. I shared it with Brother Donnie and Brother Rob. You know, you always wonder about the question and answers. and You know, I always like to look at what the prophet said about it. He was getting ready to do question and answers in 53. Talking about people turning in questions. He said, we we want to find out. The reason we do this is to find out what's on people's mind. What they're thinking about. That's what makes a good, strong church. You know what, I, I was thinking as he was talking there, when, when you've turned in a, you write it down, you give it to me, Brother Rob, on a piece of paper, your question. Or you send it in a WhatsApp or a text and say, can you ask Brother Donnie this for me? You're not just wanting to find out something intellectual. You're asking for more of him. What does the Word say? The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So you're wanting to know more about God. It's just not, it's not just intellectual. If we leave it up here, somebody can explain it to you. Somebody can explain it away from you. But when it gets here, when it becomes revelation, your questions, you know, I can imagine that one day, You might not even know what prompts you to turn the question in, but one day you might be on the other side and you see somebody fighting through a crowd, pushing to get to you on that other side. And they're gonna tell you, somebody from Australia or somebody from Norway might say, well, you were 14 years old at Word of Life Church, you wrote a question. And one Thursday night, your pastor answered that question. That's when I felt the pull, because you wrote a question. There's people all over the world listening to the questions that you're asking. So I, I hope we don't, we don't take this lightly. I hope that we understand when you write a question in, Lord, tell me more about yourself that I don't understand yet. Tell me more, reveal yourself more to me. I, I don't want it to stay intellectual. You might think something as simple as, do I have the Holy Ghost? 
There's no telling how many people when you get on the other side because you wrote that question down, received the Holy Ghost. As simple as it is, why? Because it's more of Him. It's His Word. You've inquired of His Word, so you've inquired of Him. And He imparted Himself to you tonight. That's why I like, I like the little sermons. I don't, I don't like just a, a straight answer. Tell me how I do this. Take me through the Word. Take me through God. I love it. And I'm, I'm so thankful for, for you all. The, the questions that you've written have, have helped me. They've helped me so much. If you, things that I, I, I thought, I told Brother Donnie, I, I've realized how little I know. When you see these questions that come out from teenagers and, and young adults, you think, Lord, I was missing in that spot too. So I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for you and I'm so thankful for Brother Donnie. There's nobody who will ever say Brother Donnie gives less to the youth than he does the, on Sunday. He gives, gives everything he has and I'm so thankful that he cares enough about our youth group to give everything he has. And I pray that you continue to, to pray for him and lift him up. So we're going to worship a little bit. If, if you want to, stay a while. Um, but we're so thankful for y'all. Thank you. God bless. Exalt you, O oh Lord, my God, my 
mighty you are, holy you are, your mercy endureth forevermore, righteous you are, great you are, I will exalt you, O Lord, my God. Mighty you are, you are. Your mercy endureth forevermore. Righteous you are, great you are. I will exalt you, O Lord, my God, my Say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for your nail pierced hand. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know. Your forgiveness and embrace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all sin and shame in love. Thank 
you for the cross alone. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame, in love you came and gave a love Lord thank you for nail pierced hands you washed me in your cleansing flow now all I know is your forgiveness and embrace Worthy is the Lamb Seated on the throne We crown you now with many crowns You reign victorious High and lifted up Jesus, Son of God The darling of heaven crucified Worthy is the Lamb Worthy is the Lamb Worthy is the Lamb Just want to sing one more. Just You can sing this as you go. I know it's one way saying the other night, but I think it's just a great one. It's all these questions and answers that this song comes to mind, because at the end of it all, if we take in these answers and we truly, truly apply them to our lives, we'll be walking up the King's Highway one day. My way gets brighter as my load gets lighter Walking up the king's highway There'll be a blessing You'll be possessing Walking up the king's highway Oh, it's a highway to heaven None can walk up there But the pure in heart It's a highway to heaven, walking up the King's Highway. But my way gets brighter, my Lord gets lighter, walking up the King's Highway. There's joy in knowing, with Him I'm going, walking up the King's Highway. Oh, it's a highway to heaven. 
none can walk up there but the pure in heart it's a highway to heaven walking up the king's highway i won't have to worry won't have to hurry walking up the king's highway Christ walks beside me, angels to guide me, walking up the King's Highway. Oh, it's a highway to heaven, none can walk up there, but the pure in heart. It's a highway to heaven, walking up the King's Highway. Well, if you're not walking, start while I'm talking, walking up the King's Highway. There'll be a blessing you'll be possessing, walking up the King's Highway. Oh, it's a highway to heaven, none can walk up there. But the pure in heart, it's a highway to heaven. Walking up the King's Highway. Just sing it as you go. It's a highway to heaven. None can walk up there. But the pure in heart, it's a highway to heaven. Walking up the King's Highway My way gets brighter My load gets lighter Walking up the King's Highway There's joy in knowing With Him I'm going Walking up the King's Highway Oh, it's a highway to None can walk up there, but the pure in heart. It's a highway to heaven, walking up the King's Highway. Oh, it's a highway 